We are continuing our series on future life, and Pastor Terry has been walking us through the idea that the future life can impact our present, and he's been walking us through a, a segment of the Gospel of John, and um, I'm going to get to share on this theme, but I'd like us to kind of focus in on a different place in the New Testament, and uh, I think it's going it, to, it alludes to an incident that happened hundreds of year, be, years before Jesus walked among us, and yet I think it illustrates so powerfully what it might look like for us to consider how the future life impacts our present. And, um, and so we're going to step into that. But first, I'd love to pray, ask for his blessing over the remainder of our time together, and then um, we'll step into this passage, all right, this, this idea. So God, thank you. Thank you for, for some of us helping us get here and uh, w working through everything, the challenges that may have been associated with that and giving us the ability to set this time aside and to be in your house and to be able to draw near to you, God. I pray that you would help us do just that. That in the same way we have just kind of received and sung about you being able to hold us, being ever-present with us, you would help us tune our ear to you. And as we hear your word, I pray that you would give us a sense of your personal word to us. You might remind us of some things, maybe encourage us or give us strength to step into certain things, God. I pray that you would inspire us as you always do when you show up, that your comforting presence would remain and you breathe life into this time together, God. So we, we ask for these things and um, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The future life, the future life and how it may impact us in the present. It's something I've been kind of just thinking about, and I've come to this realization in my own life that in order for us to understand somewhat of what this might look like, we have to deal with a tension point, the real tension point, that when we step into this future life, or we, step, we start discussing this, we will experience a tension of the now, but not yet. We will start to recognize that, for example, Jesus makes himself available to us now. Anybody who calls on his name, he is there among us now. And yet we will recognize that we may not know him completely. We may not see him completely as who he truly is yet. And he may offer us grace, grace that knows no depth, grace that is able to do some amazing things in our lives. And he offers us us that freely. And yet, the more we follow him and the more we seek to live on this grace that he offers us, that we can never earn, that is freely given to us, we will start to see that the work of grace in our lives will not be completed yet. The now, but not yet tension is what it might look like for us to step into this dynamic with God. And he will promise us something, and yet we will not see it completely fulfilled in this life, and that tension point, that tension point creates a gap in which we have to make some decisions and we have to decide how we are going to journey through this. And those decisions, how we respond to that gap, the now but not yet gap of life with God is what makes all the difference. And, and see, we understand this in our everyday lives. 
I think we, we have incidents in our lives where you might examine, explore, experience the now but not yet dynamic. And I was thinking about an incident in my life that's happened just kind of in, in over the past year that I thought would illustrate somewhat of what this might look like. It was about a year ago that my wife and I were discussing um, our vehicle situation. We had two cars at the, at the time, and um, one of them was on a lease, which it, by itself is kind of a, its own story of God's grace for us, but um, that lease was coming to an end in June of last year, and we, we had just finished paying off the other car, and, and so we had this experience of just kind of a little bit of freedom, right? It was just like we had just done that, and, and so we were discussing the reality that in order to get something else, we didn't want to get something we'd have to work on um, and repair, and we didn't want to go back into that situation again. So we decided we'll downsize to one car. And in our discussions, as we were talking about this, we, we thought we could give this a go. And we decided that the one who would not have the car would be me. <laughs> and so I started kind of considering other options that would be more realistic. And I remember driving, it was around May, and I remember driving and I started noticing other people on the road and that were not in cars. They were on bicycles. And, they were no longer a nuisance. They were now becoming possibilities for me to be friends with them. And I started realizing that this can be done in our city. This is a thing. And it was one of those things that it's like you don't recognize until you have a certain model of car, then you see it everywhere else. It was one of those things. I started thinking the possibility of being one of those bicyclists and doing that commuting thing. And then as I was imagining this driving and recognizing all this kind of ability here in our city, I started imagining what it was like for me to be a boy on a bicycle. And I started remembering and I started having these these memories kind of just flood me of, of the joy of getting on my bicycle on a Saturday morning and, and riding to my friend's house and, and getting them to ride with us. We'd go to the park and spend some time in our neighborhood and we'd ride around and it represented such freedom. And I remember going to the store and that being kind of just a big deal going on our bicycle and it was just like one of those cool things I got to do and it was just these memories had the sunniest of days, the nice, cool breeze, and it was just awesome. And these memories, coupled with these emotions of kind of just life and joy, ended up convincing me that this is possible. We can do this. I can ride my bicycle to and from home and work and commute, and that could be my vehicle. And, and so I talked it over with my wife and decided, you know what, let's just give it a go. And so I went ahead and purchased a commuter bike that was within what we could get, and it looked much nicer than it actually was, and ended up getting a helmet and a backpack a little bit bigger than what I remember having when I was younger, and ended up assembling it and putting it in my garage because I still had the car, so I still would drive, and I was just so excited, so looking forward to the day when I would be able to ride this, you know, and no longer have a car, and I remember actually being excited, looking forward to this, and turning the car in at the dealership, and, and at that moment, the next day, it, that night, it got, kind of got real, and, and leading up to this moment, different people realized, oh, you guys are serious about this, you're going you're gonna to get around on a bicycle, huh, Lewis, and they started kind of sitting me down, and in their concerned way, asking me, is this the wisest thing? Have you thought this through? You meet with people. Are you ready for the fact that you're going to show up sweaty? And Have you thought about this? You know? <laughs> and you know, you're going to need a little bit more time on your margins. You're not going to be able to just kind of get around as easily as you'd like. Have you, 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 you're going to have, you have a pretty compact life. Is this the best way to go about it? Other people were actually concerned for my health. You, you're already a bit thin and 
not sure this is the best way for you. Other people were concerned for the safety dynamics. And, and every time I remember thinking to myself, you know, I just kind of went back to that place of joy and freedom and life. And I just kept going back to it and it just kind of reaffirmed, yes, this is, I think this is what we're going to do. And, and the conversations would inevitably end with somewhat of a desire to support me. And okay, but their faces were like, no, this is wrong. <laughs> This is a mistake. I'm not sure this is smart. And, and then it got real for me. I was excited the first morning. I remember packing my bag and realizing I have to pack everything I need for the day in this bag that goes on my back that I carry. And I remember going downstairs and getting, you know, getting my bicycle, getting on it and riding it. And, and that's when things started to change. My backpack was a little heavier than I had anticipated. The, the wind was a little stronger than a cool breeze, more like a gale trying to topple me over. And the hills were, for some reason, a little steeper than they were when I was riding in a car. And I remember struggling through it, and getting here was a little bit tougher than I expected. I remember getting here, and everyone around me was kind of just wondering how it went. And so in my pain, I, I said the obvious thing. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> It was great. I'm not admitting anything. And I remember just going in and, and putting my bicycle and having a day. And I remember having a longer day than I anticipated. And at the end of the day, getting all my stuff and kind of just subconsciously walking over to the garage and realizing where my car used to be no longer it is no longer there. I have no car. I have a bicycle that's actually inside the building I just walked out of. And <laughs> ended up coming back. And at that point, when I was a bit fatigued and tired and a little worn out, I realized I had to exercise just to get home. And it's no longer like I could just drive home. I, I have to work to get there. And as I was working to get home, the wind was a little stronger. And I started getting a little bit irritated and a little bit frustrated at the fact that the naysayers may have actually been right. And, and what happened is I got home, and I was so exhausted. I barely said hi to my wife. And I lay down, and I just fell asleep. And the next day, I remember uh, getting up, and my body was complaining loudly. <laughs> and got on my bike, and it was a little harder, actually, because now I was sore. And the next day, it was a little tougher. And the th fourth day, by the end of the first week, I, I really didn't like this. Because what had happened, and maybe you could identify with this, what I had imagined was a finished product. But I had never imagined the process. I'd never imagined what it would be like before we got there. See, I didn't imagine the fact that I have to pack everything I need into my backpack. And if I forget it at home, well, that's that. I'm not just zipping back and getting it. You know, it's like I have to deal with it. I, I have to, I never imagined the fact that there would be other drivers on the road that would be a little irritated with me. And I used to be on the other side of that. And I remember just the honking and the buses and the pedestrians. I never had to deal with that in the same way. And it's like all this competition and other bicyclists. And all of a sudden, I'm racing people. And I don't know why. I don't even know them. And... What's happening here? I never imagined this process before I got there because I had everything I needed right now, but I wasn't quite there yet. There was this gap between where I was at now and where I wanted to be. See, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't there yet. And the truth of the matter is, over time, I ended up getting a little closer to where I had imagined. There was a moment, months later, several, many, uh, where I actually ended up enjoying it quite like I remembered it. But in that gap, well, life was difficult. And this happens in our lives, doesn't it? I mean, I think we get, we get struck with an impulse, maybe especially with God, where we hear him 
calling us, compelling us, and we get something of an image of what our life will be like if, if we move into what he promises us in our lives. And so we say, well, I want this now. And we start moving into it now. And the more we move into what he is asking us to pursue and what he is calling us towards and what he is promising us, we start to imagine and see and experience a growing gap between where we are now and what he has promised us. We are not there yet. We are not there yet. And what we do in those moments is what makes all the difference. The tension of the now but not yet is so real. It affects everything. And if we've ever been there, if we are currently there right now, I think we find some comfort in the fact that the narrative of the scriptures is that God intersects with people who he calls. He asks them to pursue what he has for them. And they actually struggle with this tension point of the now, but not yet. And yet somehow God manages to work out what he promises. And we get these models of what it might look like. And in the New Testament, there is this allusion to an incident in this man, Abraham, and this letter written to a group of Jewish believers, and the book is called Hebrews. And in this 11th chapter of that letter, this section, there's called the Hall of Faith. We're given different examples of what it might look like to respond to, to the God who calls us into the future life. But we have to walk it out in the now, but not yet. And we're given this example, what I believe is a model for us in Abraham, in Sarah, the forefathers of the Jewish people. And we'll step into it together. If you open up your handout, we'll just read this passage. And we're told in verse 8 that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. That God stepped into his life and said, if you leave your land, the land of your fathers, which back then was called Ur, modern day Iraq, if you go to this promised land, you will receive it as yours. You will own it, modern day Israel. And we're told that Abraham obeyed and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise that God had told him would be his, as in a foreign land not his native land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. They also received the same guarantee. God told Isaac and God told Jacob, this land will be your land. At the very beginning, what, we're, what we see here is an immediate kind of, a little bit of a hurdle if we uh, interpret what the writer is actually trying to say. Because what we see is that Abraham went not knowing where he was going. And if we're not careful, we might, meet, we might think that that means that he went on blind faith. He had to set logic aside, and he had to set his intelligence aside, and he had to just make the jump. But actually what the author is emphasizing is not so much that, although that is true. What he's emphasizing is that somehow Abraham came to the conclusion that the one who was calling him was trustworthy. And that made the importance of knowing the destination far less significant. See, he understood that the one who called him is the reason he responded, not because of where he was going. Which is a small but critical difference 
And he may move from a place of stability where he had known everything, where people had knew, known him. He had security. He had stability. And he went to a point of instability and constant movement. That is why we're told that he moved in tents. It was a nomadic way of life, an unsettled way of life, constantly on the move with his son and his grandson. And how did he do this? How did he move forward? We're told in verse 10 that as he moved into this land that he had not yet inherited, that was foreign to him, and he was counted as a foreigner. We're told that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We're given somewhat of a clue, carefully crafted words to allude to the fact that Abraham was able to dwell in this very real land that exists to this day seeing past what was in front of him and somehow got a picture of the eternal. His perspective was stretched and faith caused him to see beyond what was in front of him and around him, beyond his current circumstances. And he saw that maybe God was doing something a little bit more significant. And the eternal perspective started to grab a hold of him. And it kept him. And we're told that by faith in verse 11, Sarah, his wife, herself received power to conceive, that is to bear a child, even when she was past the age. Because what we understand this in this passage, by the way, is a rather significant detail that the author doesn't mention because the original readers would have understood that Abraham was 75 years old when God first intersected in his life. That it was in the final years of his life that God invited him to engage with him. And can we hear this? That if nothing else, this is meant to emphasize to us that it is simply never too late to respond to what God may be asking us to pursue. That if Abraham, at his old age, was able to respond, and because of his response, in the end of his life, We are now experiencing this. We are now reading this. And Sarah, because of her ability to respond, we're told that even she was past age, even though she was in the winter season of her life, she considered him faithful who had promised. Abraham counted him trustworthy. Sarah counted not herself capable, but him faithful to what he had promised. It's a pretty amazing thing. And then he shoots us into the future, a future that they would have been living in their day, in the day that they would have received this letter. We're told in verse 12 that therefore from one man, this man Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants. A rather miraculous thing happened. As many as the stars of heaven and as many as, as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. See, they would have understood this in very real terms because they would have been living in the land that God had promised Abraham. And they would have been seeing it and they would have known that what had happened is Abraham and Sarah had Isaac in itself a miracle. And then Isaac had two children, and one of them was Jacob. And God said, through Jacob, my promise will be fulfilled. And Jacob had 12 sons, and those sons became 12 tribes. And those tribes united and became a nation. And they actually attained the land that God promised. And more than that, this people, they became so innumerable, ended up becoming the vehicle by which God would deliver the greatest gift to mankind, his son, Jesus. And they would read these words and they would realize that God was faithful. 
to his promise. God did it in their midst. They were a part of this people group, and we're told that this happened, and yet these all died, verse 13, in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They realized their their ability to navigate through this world was contingent on them recognizing maybe this world doesn't have their ultimate home. Maybe this is, this is not the place that God's promise will be ultimately fulfilled. For people, verse 14, who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if Abraham and Sarah had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return to Ur, modern-day Iraq. But they didn't. Something had gripped them. Because as it is, they desire a better country. And so they were okay with their circumstance because ultimately their rest didn't come in achieving everything God had promised here and now, but in the future. That is a heavenly one. Can we see it? Can we hear this amazing story? Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, a city that speaks of vibrancy and life and security and stability. It speaks of so much activity that is joy-filled. And God said, listen, I, you see it, you see it. You see, your ultimate destination is not contingent on it occurring here. Yes, I called you now, but it will not be fulfilled yet. And we might see this. And the reality is somewhat something of us might kind of be inclined to believe it and to see it and to want to engage with it. And then some of, some of us, some, another part of us might think to ourselves, that's just a little bit beyond reach. That's just a little too far for me. And I'd just like to point out that if that's the case, we might recognize that every single person that engaged life with God or engaged life with Jesus started in a certain sphere. And they started in the sphere of the immediate. Immediate concerns for the land. Immediate concerns for their descendants. Immediate concerns for their day-to-day lives. And the more they engaged with God, the more they engaged with Jesus, that concern started to widen. And they started to grip, come to terms with something, that this life that God is calling us to is not just limited to the immediate circumstances we're in, but it actually has the ability to transcend them. And it compels us to enlarge our scope so that we can start to live life with an increasingly eternal future life perspective. Which means that Abraham and Sarah started right where you and I start. And everyone that journeys with God start in the place where we can just feel, touch, see in the immediate. And it's in the engaging, in the now but not yet, that we start to be compelled to recognize something altogether more is happening in our midst. So I think there are a couple things we can consider together. Some thoughts for us of how to step into this. Firstly, I'd like to uh, have us consider the fact that what happens here is that sometimes God calls us to trust him in the midst of uncertain future. 
Sometimes God calls us to trust him in the midst of an uncertain future. See, Abraham and Sarah, they moved into the uncertainty, not because they knew the destination completely or how it was all going to work out, but because they were assured of the one who had called them. And I just think about the different things in our lives where we come to a crossroads, where perhaps God may be asking us to pursue something. It may be a new way of living, healthier habits in our lives that are meant to give us life and meant to draw us away from where we have been. And if we start to engage, we we end up moving in and we make adjustments in our lives. And what happens inevitably is that we get let down by our own doing. And we start trying to engage in new habits, life-giving habits, but somehow we fall short. And in that point of falling short and recognizing there is a gap between where God wants me to be and I'm not there yet, we could become extremely discouraged if we're not careful because we might start to think that this is all dependent on my ability. And can we hear this? That engaging with Jesus is admitting that it was never contingent on my ability to begin with. And so it's not up to me to give me the capacity to get there. Jesus is the one who is able to strengthen me. He's the one who is able to help me. He is greater than our weakness. And he is far greater than our past. And he is far greater than our fears. He is able to keep us. And so many times in our lives, when we start to consider things, we, I don't know about you, but I start to find myself wanting, yearning for an answer. For direction. And maybe I'm alone in this, but I end up starting to treat God like a signpost. Can you just show me the way? I'm less concerned with you. I'm more concerned with the solution. And once I get there, then I'll be okay. Once I understand it, once I clearly see it, then I'll be okay. But God seems to be saying, no, no, no. I am your destination. And the more we make room in our lives to draw near to him, the more we start to understand that what we truly need is is a reaffirmation of our trust in him. And that when he is present, his peace ends up guarding us. And though we are in the midst of uncertainty, he becomes our certainty, our solid ground. He becomes our strength. And this is, this is what happens when we end up becoming engaged with this future life d- dynamic. See, it matters. It matters when we realize that our strength comes from trusting him. And that becomes an anchor that holds us, stabilizes us, strengthens us, keeps us, and helps us discover something that is so powerful. Which is... What I think they discovered, and it's our second thought here, is that a future life perspective, it can end up affecting how we live in our present. It really can. I know life makes it so difficult to have this. Life makes it so challenging to see beyond the immediate and so challenging to see beyond what is right in front of us or the the daily stress and the grind and the pain of life. And yet something happens as we start to spend time with God and as we start to draw near to him on an ongoing basis and we start to leave the door open for him to infiltrate our lives. What we start to see is that in the places where all we saw was brokenness, we start to hear his voice tell us, speak to us, impress upon us, I can mend. 
I can heal. And where we have seen failure, we start to see him, hear him speak to us. My promise is one of life. My promise is one of strength. You can overcome. And we start to get a larger perspective that holds us and strengthens us and affects our decisions. See, what happens is what Jesus said, that if we understand there is more to life than what is immediately around us, then then we'll start to wrestle with what we're actually building. And we'll start to actually consider how we are spending the days of our lives and our energy. And we'll, something inside of us will start to have to f- figure out, Lord, what is it that you're asking me to lay up for myself? How do we work this out? It starts to massage its way into our lives. It's certainly not easy. It's extremely difficult because in a way, that now but not yet gap, that is our life. It is an eternity where we will be complete and whole. It is an eternity where injustice will not exist. It is there that healing will be fulfilled to its maximum degree. But between now and then, my prayer is that God would help us start to allow him to infiltrate the decisions we make the way we operate in different spheres of our lives. And what we will see is that we, if we step in by faith, not our own capacities, but because he is able, we will start to see him start to do something pretty amazing. He will start to change the world around us. And it may not be perfect. It will be very messy. But we will start to see something of his grace infiltrate, which is really our final thought here together. And that is that faithfulness anchored in the future life perspective, ends up affecting, ends up changing the world around us. This is so significant. Because in a way, we are all sitting here, gathered, in a way, directly because Abraham and Sarah decided to anchor their hopes in the future life. And because of that, God used them created a people, and people became a nation, a nation, the bearers of the Messiah, our Savior, the one who gives us the greatest gift on earth. And if we really think about it, our journey with God is never self-made. If we could think about the different people in our lives, in our past, that God interacted with, and they faithfully, sacrificially served and followed and engaged and pursued what he had called them to do. They became the bridge point for us to be able to say, you know what, if I trust you and I see God working in your life, maybe, maybe there is something of God working in my life as well. And we start to see that the people around us were faithful because something of eternity, something of the future life had gripped them and they remained when we needed it most. They remained and they ended up becoming part of our story of God's grace. And in a different way, we don't ever really talk about this a whole lot, but I think it's worth noting this very church, this community exists because a group of people decided by faith to sacrifice and to move into what they thought God was doing in their midst, in their small circumstances. Their lives became something that built a foundation for this community to actually exist. And we are now, 60 years later, able to look back and say, you know what, God did promise something of a land to that group of people. 
in this body, in my own life, means so much because my parents were directly affected by what God was doing here. And in that way, that affected my life. And because of that, because of their faithfulness, people that I have never met, I'm getting to tell you on this stage that God promises to do something and he will keep it and he will do it. And it will affect people. And it will change the world around us. And we may not see it. We may only see the broken. We may only see the unfair and unjust and the pain. But yet God is moving in the cracks and the crevices. Wholeness is starting to appear. Life is starting to surge up. And slowly but surely, his life knows no ends. It's able to penetrate. It's able to flow. And it is able to create amazing change. And that is what he invites us into to work this out and to become part of what he is wanting to do in and through us. I wonder who in our lives, because we fought for our commitments and our relationships and we fought for what God has asked us to do, will look back and say, because they hung on, because they were faithful, because they remained, I've been changed. Who is that? Who are they that God may want to touch? Because we lived a future life perspective that increasingly affected us. What, what an amazing privilege we have. What an amazing privilege. In fact, the closing song we're going to be sharing here in a minute together is a rather intense way of trying to motivate us to consider that the world around us is affected by us. And if you could hear this, I'd, I'd like us to consider the fact that if we anchor ourselves in the promise that Jesus gives us an ultimate fulfillment and we start to see past what we see around us and we start to get something of what he longs to do through us, what he is currently doing in our midst, we will. We will change our world. It may not be perfect. It may not be clean and sanitary. It may be messy. But it will certainly be beautiful. And it will be powerful because God is the one doing it through our lives. So may that be the case. May we live faithfully, anchoring ourselves in him in the now, but not yet, in this present life. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And we'll receive our time of, we'll have our time of giving. And then we'll step into this together. So God, thank you. Thank you that you invite us into a life, God, that is... Um, not limited to what we are currently walking through, and yet it is in these circumstances that you ask us to lean on you. It is in the pain and the struggle of life, God, that you, your grace longs to penetrate, strengthen us, carry us, reassure us, and remind us. I pray that you would do just that, that you would help us enlarge our ability to see what you are ultimately doing, and that that would affect our daily decisions, and that that would have an impact, not just on our own lives, God, but on those around us. May, may you continue the good work you have started. May you do it, Lord. We pray for this. We ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.